0: Flowing Water, Fragrant Mountains is a podcast series chronicling the hiking expedition which Jim Zumberg undertook in the summer of 2019. It is a collaboration between Jim and his son Thomas. That's me. Episode 2. A Healthy Trek to Fetch Water. In planning my John Muir Trail backpack... I decided that I would take advantage of some of the opportunities to leave the backcountry for a night or two, to where I could get food from a restaurant, sleep in a bed, do laundry, and enjoy real plumbing. I'm thinking flush toilets and hot showers, of course. My plan for the first six days of backpacking was to make forward progress on the trail every day. No zero days and alternate two nights in the backcountry with one night out. For me, this itinerary accomplished several desirable things. It would give me multiple chances to say I've had enough and declare success on whatever I had accomplished up to that point. I wanted that flexibility since I can't remember being on a backpacking trip with more than two nights out in almost 50 years. I also liked the idea that I would never be more than three days away from the comforts of civilization, where I could recharge my mental and physical batteries, not to mention my electrical ones. Yet another reason was that I would need to carry food at any time to last for only three days, and would have room to spare in my very small and lightweight bear canister. These canisters are required on nearly all of the JMT. Over the years, bears have pretty much learned that they can't get into them, resulting in fewer interactions with humans. Following my initial grueling day hike from Yosemite Valley to Tuolumne Meadows, I had scheduled two full days of rest in Mammoth Lakes. This gave me time to relax, take care of some minor wounds, get a short haircut, make last minute adjustments to what I'd carry in my backpack and mail stuff home that I didn't need. On the evening of the second rest day, I felt well prepared and ready to go. In the morning, I took the Yarts bus from Mammoth to Tuolumne and walked over to the wilderness center to pick up my permit. There was only one party ahead of me, so the wait in line was, in my experience here, unusually short. The ranger was great. I knew he had to go through the same drill many times during the summer. He said, Don't camp until you're at least four miles up into Lyle Canyon, and no campfires above 9,600 feet. He asked, Do you have a bear canister? And do you know what leave no trace means? I had the right answers to both of these questions. I asked him for some detail on what he knew about the bear situation. He said bears were active in the area, but I'd be fine with my canister and normal food hygiene in bear territory. I got started a little before 11 a.m. It was warm, clear, and calm. In about a mile, the trail reaches the Lyle Fork of the Tuolumne River. Just as I was about to cross on a footbridge, a young guy sitting unobtrusively at the side of the trail politely asked where I was headed. I answered, with maybe a touch of swagger, Whitney Portal. He asked if he could see my permit. By now I could tell from his shirt that he was a ranger. I showed him the permit, and he wished me well. As I crossed the bridge, I noticed another solo backpacker behind me who got the same treatment. With a fully loaded backpack, I was thankful that most of this first day was a very gentle climb up Lyle Canyon for about eight miles. The grade then suddenly increases as the trail begins its ascent toward Donahue Pass. I enjoyed constant views of dense forests, lush green meadows, clear blue skies, and the meandering Lyle Fork. In early afternoon, a magnificent view of Mount Lyle and its namesake glacier came into view. Not long after, just before a bridge that crosses the Lyle Fork, I found myself at a perfect spot to camp. A very flat area with trees for shelter near the gurgling creek. I was done walking for the day. Thursday, the second day of this three-day segment, began with a long climb over Donahue Pass. I came across many hikers, including a 60-something woman who was traveling solo on a segment of the Pacific Crest Trail. I said, Hi, I'm Jim. And she replied with, Hi, I'm Horse Camper. I didn't hike with her long enough to get the story behind the genesis of her trail name. Could be that it was the time of year, but it seemed to me like the number of seniors on the trail, including myself, was disproportionately large. I came on to Donahue Pass around 1030 with fantastic views of Mount Ritter and Banner Peak ahead of me. These are seen by upwards of a million skiers every year from Mammoth Mountain, at a much different aspect. Banner Peak in particular seems to me much more striking from Donahue. I suppose it shouldn't have surprised me, but many of the dozen or so persons taking a break at the pass didn't seem to be enjoying the view, but instead were glued to their smartphones. Evidently, there's cell coverage at Donahue Pass for at least one carrier. Not mine, I'll admit, I checked. Since coverage is rare on the JMT, it was something of an anomaly, certainly nothing like what we're all used to seeing these days in urban pedestrian travel. I continued on, first descending, then going up again over Island Pass, and then down into the Thousand Island Lake area. My campsite that night was a few hundred feet above Garnet Lake. It was a good spot, but as one hiker mentioned as he passed by, that's a healthy trek to fetch water. He was right. By now I recognized the desirable qualities of a good campsite. Level ground on dirt where tent stakes penetrate easily, but not too easily. Trees nearby to give shelter from the wind, and close to water, preferably a stream with a sonorous-sounding flow. I had one day to go before a night in Mammoth Lakes. It was Friday, and I made the long descent towards Devil's Post Pile, and then Red's Meadow. In the summer, there's normally a bus that regularly transports people between Red's and Mammoth. In fact, cars are not allowed on that road for most hours of the day. But after Labor Day, like it was now, there is only weekend shuttle service. I wasn't sure whether weekend included Friday. I was pretty sure it didn't. I did need to get from Red's to Mammoth, somehow. In my original planning, I had thought that I'd just hike over the hill between the two, something I'd done as a day hike with my wife a few years ago. But as I approached Red's, it was after 3 p.m., and I didn't have the energy for it. So I went into the store at Red's and asked the old-timer sitting behind the register, what are my options to get into Mammoth this afternoon? He said, well, there's a bus going there tomorrow. I said, Can I get a taxi or something? He replied, Maybe. They're pretty expensive. You might try hanging out in the parking lot and hitch a ride when you see someone leaving. Lucky for me, there was another guy sitting on a bench in the store under the window, 50s probably, listening to our conversation. He piped up with, I'm driving back to Mammoth in a few minutes, as soon as my wife gets back here. We can give you a ride. I said, Thanks that sounds great. We waited for only a few minutes she returned and the three of us walked for about a mile to where their car was parked in the devil's postpile parking lot. I was pretty spent by then that was a long mile for me and capped off the longest of my backpacking days so far nearly 20 miles. What a treat it was to put my backpack in the trunk of their car sit down in the back seat and experience effortless travel as Alex, we had by this time introduced ourselves, drove up the windy road into town. Spending time backpacking makes you appreciate things that we ordinarily take for granted. They dropped me off in Mammoth Village at about 4.30. I checked into my condo and retrieved a small pack that I had left there when I had checked out three days earlier. And that pack were provisions for the upcoming three days that would take me to my next town, Vermilion Valley Resort. Once in my room, I first showered and then got my laundry going. I had some minor wounds that needed attention. One was a blister on one of my small toes, which had swelled underneath the toenail. To my surprise, the blister actually pushed the nail up to the point that it was almost completely detached from the toe. While hiking the past three days, I had experienced some discomfort on that foot, but nothing bad enough to make me take a closer look. That was a mistake I would not repeat. From then on, I would generally regard a nearby gentle stream as an opportunity to inspect, massage, and soak my feet. Saturday morning, when I checked out of my condo for the third and last time now, the young man at the front desk noticed my fully laden backpack and asked what I was up to. He had done much of the JMT himself, it turns out, and when I mentioned Vermilion Valley Resort, he said that, just short of Silver Pass, one could take a spur trail, the Goodale Trail, that leads more directly to VVR without the need to take the boat taxi across Lake Thomas Edison. I tucked his suggestion away in my mind as we settled the bill. For today, I had already decided that, instead of hiring or hitching a ride back down to Reds, I would instead use the local Mammoth Transit to take me up to the nearby Duck Pass trailhead. From there, it was about five miles up and over the pass. Then another two to rejoin the JMT, at a point about ten miles beyond where I'd left it the day before. I wasn't a purist about needing to strictly follow the JMT at all times. I had actually done this route over Duck Pass two years earlier, as a long weekend backpack with two friends. I remembered a couple of specific things from that trip, beyond how scenic and pleasant it was following a stream and passing by several lakes. One was encountering a young couple carrying snowboards as they descended the trail, ending their day after having found a slope-containing snowboarding terrain, even in September. Another was a fantastic camping spot near the junction with the JMT, with plenty of room, not only for our entire party of three, each with our own tent, but also for several other groups who arrived later, one of whom was a 50-something woman who herself was well into a solo southbound JMT trip that fall. I arrived at that same camping spot, close to Purple Lake, around 3.30, and it was as nice as I remembered. Over the next couple of hours, a few other parties occupied nearby sites. As a solo backpacker, I was comforted to know that others were not far away. I still had two days and 20 miles between me and VVR, with options for the exact route. I was learning not to make decisions before necessary, though, and soon fell asleep.